Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Today's show, Are They My Poor? focuses on the politics and realities of affordable housing in Bloomington, Indiana. Our music today comes from Archie Shep's 1971 album, Things Have Got to Change. In Ralph Waldo Emerson's central and influential essay, Self-Reliance, a document that might be said to lie at the heart of liberalism in the United States of America, he writes, Do not tell me, as a good man did today, of my obligation to put all poor men in good situations. Are they my poor? Perhaps they are not specifically my poor or Emerson's, but isn't this our economic system that makes poverty a foundational reality supporting the narrative of just desserts for rich and poor? Poverty serves a moral purpose for those deemed economic winners. Emerson, it seems, is addressing Jesus, who in the Gospel of Mark says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But we should point out what this overlooks. Why does there need to be poverty? And why should anyone support a system that necessitates it? The lack of affordable housing is a serious issue in most cities around the U.S. While owning a home was once thought of as a foundation of success for American families, it now serves the singular purpose of chaining one to a lifetime of debt. That is, if you're actually lucky enough to be allowed that burden. But housing isn't just about ownership. It's about any kind of roof and walls to protect people from the elements. There's not one U.S. state, county, or metropolitan area where a minimum wage earner working full-time can afford a two-bedroom apartment. The National Low Income Housing Coalition's annual out-of-reach report details that a worker earning the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour would need to work nearly 127 hours a week, equivalent to more than three full-time jobs, to afford a modest two-bedroom rental without spending more than 30% of their salary on housing costs. To afford a modest one-bed rental, they would need to work 103 hours a week. Today, producer Najla Routsong investigates the possible effects on Bloomington, Indiana of an addition to a local unified development ordinance or UDO that would make duplexes and triplexes legal for single-family neighborhoods by right. The UDO is the document that governs zoning policies and guides city development. The Plexus by right measure has already attracted outspoken criticism and equally passionate supporters at city council meetings. Our show is in two parts. Part one, Deborah Meyerson, executive director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, joins us to dig into some of the legal realities of the UDO, as well as the way race and class exclusions have played a part in real estate development. And for part two, we're joined by Kelly Toto, founder of the Trailview Neighborhood Association, a Bloomington neighborhood recently developed by Habitat for Humanity, which blends both single-family and duplex housing. Her story illustrates how affordable housing usually means living on the outskirts of a municipality where even getting to work can be a challenge and being an involved parent is nearly impossible. And now, Are They My Poor? on Interchange on WFHB. The 
This is Deborah Meyerson. I'm executive director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, a local nonprofit. Could you please tell us what is the mission and purpose of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities um, that you are the executive director of? Well, South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, also abbreviated as SIHO, is a local nonprofit. Our mission is to expand housing options for low and moderate income households, mm-hmm. and that our service area includes Bloomington and Monroe County, but also surrounding counties. So that would be communities in Brown, Lawrence, Green, Owen, and Morgan counties as well. In your opinion, what are the main reasons behind Bloomington's affordable housing crisis? Well, there's a few different things that feed into that. Um, One is we just have a limited housing supply. And it's some of those basic supply and demand questions. If you have high demand, Bloomington and Monroe County are desirable places to live, and people want to move here, which is awesome, but they need a place to move. And if there's not enough housing being built, well, then that pushes housing prices up, which makes it harder for people to afford those houses, whether they're buying or renting. And that then kind of continues the cycle of people want to live here, but there's not enough housing supply, and it it becomes hard to break that. Another issue is low wages Mm -hmm. um, because people, again, affordability has two ways. It's the cost of the housing, but it's also what your income is that you can afford with. And having a large university in a community definitely is part of depressing housing or depressing uh, wages because you have students that are eager to get work experience and just may not uh, bring have the same income. And so it's just part of that overall cycle. So part of the problem that we're experiencing is that Bloomington is just an attractive place to live. Yes. Which is why um, we're having this affordable housing crisis, which is some is somehow, I'm guessing, more intense than more neighboring smaller smaller towns. Is that right? Uh, I would say that. On the other hand, uh, part of how people achieve a, find a place to live and, and find affordability is to move to places that are less expensive. So mm-hmm. I know that there are certainly desirable parts of outer counties that, you know, there's not necessarily supply happening as quickly there either. And so it may may not be the same crisis that, let's say, Bloomington, the city, is addressing, but there's still challenges. And that's something that a recent regional housing study was looking at needs that was produced by regional opportunity initiatives. Uh, and that's just an important way to look at a Levin County region of how to look at housing regionally. And that's really one of the most important things of not looking at housing just from a local government, just in the city of Bloomington. When people look at where they want to live, they're looking for a variety of things, not just I want to live in Bloomington, but what can I afford? Where's my work? Sure. How do I get there? Where mm-hmm. do my kids go to school? A variety mm-hmm. of things that make the need to address housing on more than just local government by government basis, really working collaboratively and regionally is super important. Yeah, it sounds like I can see how all of these uh, complex factors interplay. And specifically because we are talking about an economic issue. And so today we are specifically focused on the supply solution of trying to increase the affordable housing supply in Bloomington. So there's a local uh, measure that's up in front of the city council to be voted on that would change Bloomington's Unified Development Ordinance, or UDO, to legally allow duplexes to be created by right in single-family neighborhoods. Is is that right, in my understanding? Well, the current version that City Council has actually would allow duplexes and the triplexes. Current UDO. The current UDO um, would allow it, uh, that conditionally. So mm-hmm. 
So that's a question. So there's two different ways that development can happen. And I'll just give a little context because the Unified Development Ordinance is also zoning. It's the legal mm-hmm. way that land use happens. And it's a 500-page document of which a small part is this, but this is one of the most uh, contentious issues mm-hmm. of how do we add housing supply? And this is one opportunity to do that. And so if it's by right, it means that there's no further review needed. If it's conditional, mm-hmm. it means that it can be permitted, but it needs to go through a review process that depending on the nature of the zoning change that's needed, it would either go through the plan commission or the Board of Zoning Appeals. How is the Plexus by right measure? What would that change for people who do want to, say, renovate a single family home into a duplex? Well, if you can do it by right, it just makes it easier. And so the advantage of that is that it's helping to encourage smaller developers who maybe want, you know, are invested in their neighborhood. They may live in the neighborhood and say, you know what, this is an opportunity to improve the neighborhood that I live in. And so making it by right is making it easier to have locally based community developers to to improve their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make it harder by making it conditionally, that is more likely to make it easier for the larger developers with bigger um, budgets and deeper pockets who can take the additional time uh, and money, frankly, that it is necessary to go through that process. And on the other hand, I would say that for the kind of housing types we're talking about, whether duplexes or triplexes, I know that people who are concerned about these housing types fear that deep-pocketed developers are going to swoop into their neighborhoods and tear down all the houses and build duplexes. Frankly, the land values aren't going to let that happen. Land values are too high. I have heard that argument put forward by people at the city council and commission debates on this. Yeah. So again, there's a fear factor, but I don't think it's really based in reality of the economics of it. And why is that? Because if you have to, let's say in Elm Heights, maybe the lowest cost house you could buy might be maybe $175,000. If you bought that and with the goal of, let's say, tearing it down to build a triplex on it, well, then you have to pay for the land and that house. You have to pay to tear it down. You have to pay for new construction. And that's expensive. And, you know, granted, you can say, oh, well, you put students in it and you're going to, you know, jack up the rents. Uh Again, I I certainly understand there are people who are concerned about, you know, students are an integral part of this community. The Uh university is a key part of the community. It definitely has an impact on the housing market. There's no underestimation of that. Um, But I don't think that people's fears are going to be realized in the same way that they think. I will say that, you know, there's a lot of focus on these duplexes and triplexes and accessory dwelling units. Mm -hmm. This is not a magic bullet. This is not going to solve all our housing problems. But it's one way to bring additional housing to neighborhoods that are established, that are close to transit, that are close to jobs, that are Mm -hmm. great places to live. And it's going to allow a more economically diverse set of people to live there. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Episode producer Najla Routsong speaks with Deborah Meyerson, Executive Director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, about changes in Bloomington's Unified Development Ordinance that would allow plexes by right into areas zoned only for single-family housing. Some opponents of this measure 
uh, claim that they, or they say that they are for more affordable housing supply in Bloomington, in the city, but they think it should, that we should first encourage more dense development farther towards the outskirts of the city before we encourage denser development towards the uh, downtown area. Um, not necessarily downtown, but closer to downtown. So um, what what is what are the social benefits of having denser core neighborhoods as opposed to adding density closer to the suburbs or the outside? Well, it's it's having access because affordable housing isn't just about how much your housing costs. It's about the other things that are part of your cost of living. So mm-hmm. if you live closer to transit, if you live closer to your job, maybe your family needs one car instead of two. That's what our family does. We have one car. We have three kids. Um, my husband walks or bikes to work, um, and I often drive, but I may bike too, or I could take a bus if I need to. Um, And it's just a way for us to juggle, you know, having less of a cost of an additional car. So there are additional economic benefits to living closer to the Exactly. Again, that affordability is not just about how much your house costs. It means if you, again, don't need an extra car, if Mm -hmm. you, um, it's that quality of life as well. If you Mm -hmm. have to spend less time commuting, of being stuck in rush hour traffic. Um, and so I think that those benefits should be shared with more people. And so mm-hmm. this kind of elements of development, again, accessory dwelling units, tr- duplexes, triplexes, offer that quality of life to more people, especially, mm-hmm. again, at a range of different incomes. And I've also heard you say before that the, uh, the UDO is a moral document. Um, could you s- explain that to us a little bit? And uh, you know what your thinking is behind that, and also what is the moral message that you think the current UDO sends about our community's moral values compared with the moral message that the proposed UDO changes you think would send about our community and our our moral values. I'm going to give credit for the moral document to my friend Dave Warren, uh-huh. and it's, I think it's a great way to think about the UDO. What do we want our city to be? Who do we want to live here? How do we want to welcome them? Um, and again, zoning is about land use and where people can live, where they can work, um, where they can play. And if we want to be a welcoming, diverse community, we have to have housing that accommodates that. And so that's where I think that the zoning document of the UDO really reflects that. And it's important to to actually put it to put your money where your mouth is mm-hmm. and to say, okay, if we're going to, if we want to be a welcoming, diverse community, let's make our housing able to do that. So local critics of this policy say that this measure won't actually improve the housing crisis because it will only encourage growth of new construction and not in, not increase the supply of older buildings, which is, of course, where market rate affordability normally would come from, right? Because affordable housing, if it's not if, if it's new construction, usually it has to be subsidized by the government. And normally market rate affordability means simply that it's, it's an older building and, or, or the neighborhood has lower value and so the rents are naturally lower. So how, how do you answer that concern from some local people who say that this measure would only encourage new construction? Again, there's different w- levels of how housing markets work. And so I hear some complaints that, oh, you can't build you know, duplexes as affordable units, but it's partly with a lack of supply, people who live in smaller, traditionally more affordable homes have no place to move up to. If they want to expand their house, they wind up adding an addition onto their existing house because, mm-hmm. hey, this two bedroom is too small for us. Let's add a third bedroom on. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas if there were more supply, they might say, oh, there's that great new house in that new development on the other side of town. Let's move up to that three or four bedroom house. And then you have the two bedroom left behind for someone else to move into. Maybe a renter is ready to move up to homeownership. I see. Mm-hmm. But if you have people who are staying in place and just enlarging their homes, you've got two impacts of that. The renter has no place to move into. And the existing two-bedroom is now, let's say, a three- or four-bedroom because they've added on to it, so it's worth more, which is great for that homeowner, but it's basically reduced the availability of more affordable units for by improving that existing property as opposed to, again, with a better supply, there'd be more choices for where people could live. So that's part of the filtering of housing. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's more of kind of a chain reaction that having adequate supply will make available. It's time for a break. This is Archie Shep and part one of Money Blues off of Things Have Got to Change. Stay with us for more on affordable housing and the Unified Development Ordinance in Bloomington, Indiana, when Interchange returns. Welcome back to Interchange. Today's show is Are They My Poor? and focuses on affordable housing in Bloomington, Indiana. In this segment, episode producer Nage Song and Deborah Meyerson, executive director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, discuss fears about loss of neighborhood character prompted by proposals to allow multifamily housing into areas currently only zoned for single-family homes. This would be a change in our city, and as we know, any change is going to have benefits for some people and costs for others. Who do you see bearing the costs of this change? Who are the people who are going to suffer the most from something like this? Are there plans in place to mitigate these negative effects? Well, we have in many of our older neighborhoods, we have historic districts, we have conservation districts, and those are there to help protect the character and um look of those neighborhoods. They do place certain restrictions on what can happen with the existing buildings. And that's a way to help, you know, address the concerns. Because that, that is have. one of the main concerns that local housing owners have is that 
this could change the character of the neighborhood. Could you unpack that a little bit? What does the character of a neighborhood entail? Well, a character can entail, you know, what it looks like, what the architecture is, what the uh, relationship between buildings is, the broader streetscape. But I have to say that, especially in older neighborhoods, I mean, Bloomington's zoning is only about 50 years old. Um, In the first half of the 20th century, there wasn't zoning, um, which, I mean, there's things that zoning can do, but neighborhoods flourished with multiple housing types without the zoning. And I'm not Mm -hmm. arguing against zoning. I'm just saying that we have these examples of the kind of housing that we want to bring back to neighborhoods exists in these neighborhoods currently. Mm -hmm. It's a way of adding and continuing to to reintegrate instead of having a dominance of single-family detached homes. We have what many people call missing middle housing Mm -hmm. of where the tendency right now, again, when you've got even a healthier supply, is to build single-family homes or to build high-density multifamily buildings. Missing middle is in between that, both for people of different incomes as well as for just people of different living requirements. So if empty nesters can then downsize to a smaller space, again, freeing up maybe their larger single-family house for a family, right. and they could, but they could stay in the neighborhood. They could mm-hmm. live in another half of a duplex, or they could live in an accessory dwelling unit. Mm-hmm. And so there's ways to basically integrate our neighborhoods mm-hmm. with these different housing types, and that's just an important mm-hmm. consideration that historically existed mm-hmm. and can still exist, and we can still maintain the character of neighborhoods while also address- mm-hmm. embracing these kind of housing types. Could you speak a little bit more about the political history behind the single-family zoning laws that we have here in the U.S. and specifically in Bloomington? Well, zoning historically was a way to separate land uses. This is at a time where maybe you had, you know, to keep the slaughterhouse away from, you know, the residential areas, right? So to separate yeah. those uses. But it also quickly became a tool t- for social exclusion, ways to say, mm-hmm. well, we're going to have single family here because we don't want those people living here. And this is often a racially uh, motivated factor of keeping out. What years are we talking about here? What is the time? This is the 20s and 30s, especially. Okay. Um, but there were different Supreme Court decisions. I, I highly recommend people interested in this issue to read The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And it talks about specifically zoning as a racial tool that was frankly supported by the Federal Housing Administration. Um, I mean, there were governmental policies that supported this kind of segregation of housing types that had a racial uh, impact on that. And so um, it's just an important thing to understand that even if people like to think, well, I'm not intending to exclude anybody by living in my single family home. Well, I understand that, but it has that de facto impact of if a neighborhood is exclusively single family detached homes, there's people who can't live there. And so it's creating exclusion of, again, different economic as well as, as well as racial impacts that can happen. And having a mix of housing types is an important way to address those needs. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Episode producer Najla Routsong speaks with Deborah Meyerson, executive director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, about changes in Bloomington's Unified Development Ordinance that would allow plexus by right into areas zoned only for single-family housing. So what's a specific example of how these kinds of zoning laws have affected people of lower incomes and or people of 
um, different races. Again, if you have just single family homes and say that's all that we're going to allow here, this is a single family mm-hmm. district, sometimes there's lots of Because there's no law against people of lower incomes moving into a neighborhood, or there's no law against people of any race buying a house. So how does that play out? There used to be deed restrictions, and and some neighborhoods in Bloomington. I encourage people, especially in older neighborhoods, if you're ever curious, to look up your housing deed. You might see uh, a covenant or uh, exclusion on the deed, because that Mm -hmm. was certainly something that was common Mm -hmm. um, at a certain period of time. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, how does the single-family zoning somehow benefit certain people in our society at the expense of others? Well, not a single-family detached home is typically an owner-occupied home, not exclusively, but you have to be able to buy a home to and be a homeowner to live in those neighborhoods. If you can integrate the neighborhood with more rental options, with smaller housing types that aren't only, you know, three- and four-bedroom homes, or if you can, again, have a duplex that mm-hmm. you have to a home, it's a way to introduce affordability into the picture. I see. And that's an important way to just allow for different options if we're talking about accessory dwelling units or granny flats mm-hmm. that are part of where a single-family house is that typically would then be an accessory dwelling unit because it might be in the backyard, might be attached to the house, but it's a smaller living unit that's part of that, then you're offering maybe a place for, again, it's called a granny flat because maybe Mm -hmm. granny lives there. Um, Maybe, um, you know, maybe a a recent college graduate lives there Mm -hmm. that uh, can't afford yet to buy their own Mm -hmm. home, isn't ready to buy their own home, but would like to rent in a nice neighborhood where Mm -hmm. other people live and it's a good quality of life. So it's just offering different choices of housing options that just a single family detached house is not as likely to offer. What is the economic evidence that this kind of policy to allow plexes by right in single family neighborhoods would improve our housing crisis? And uh, related to that, which American cities have passed similar policies? People may have heard of the city of Minneapolis doing it. People say, well, we're not Minneapolis, we're smaller. Well, the whole state of Oregon's done it and said that um, cities uh, of at least 25,000 need to accept uh, uh, duplexes and triplexes. I have to look at the exact housing types they need, but basically small-scale multifamily mm-hmm. by right. And so that's in the whole state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly come up in California. It's That's a little, you know, it's a bigger state okay. with a lot more mm-hmm. politics, but it's definitely something that a lot of different um, communities are looking at because the housing needs that exist in Bloomington are by no means singular to Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's around the country, you know, especially on the coast, but definitely there's high cost housing markets. With the recession from 2009, 2010, uh, the construction industry changed substantially. A lot mm-hmm. of developers and contractors closed up shop mm-hmm. and the the labor shortage is real and that really has an impact on construction and availability of housing and so that's an important thing that just has made the housing difficulties widespread and and again communities all over the country are looking at how do we address housing needs and this particular example is one housing um, affordability needs to be a multi-pronged policy approach. It can't just be, well, okay, we got our duplexes, we're good. Mm-hmm. It's one among many tools, but it's an important step, and it's the one that's currently on the table. Mm-hmm. And so it's just going to be really important to understand the impact of that. And doing it by right is the most important because it makes it possible to happen, and especially makes it possible for smaller, newer developers that are not uh, that are invested in their own communities to help mm-hmm. support the construction of those kinds of housing types. Like small first-time landlords who maybe just 
make their house a duplex and rent out one side while living in the other. That's exactly an example of of Mm -hmm. what that could look like. Deborah, who are the people that would most benefit from this? At least in in my job, I see a lot of uh, working families, uh, people who just, you know, are being priced out of the market. I certainly understand that students are there, and that's a consideration that people have. Um, We've had a lot of student housing built. Um, so I, I feel like we that have. market's been addressed or being addressed and continues to be addressed. New, new student housing. New student housing. Uh-huh. New student rental housing. Exactly. Yeah. And and whereas there's not been as much built for, again, working households of a variety of sizes. And so there's just a real need out there, both for the affordability, but even just for the options that are out there. Young professionals, you know, mm-hmm. people who are in college eventually graduate, mm-hmm. sure. and they go out, and many of them would love to stay in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Is there a place for them to live? Mm-hmm. Again, shortage of housing supply. There's not that many choices, and that then impacts, you know, what employers can do. Mm-hmm. Employers have, you know, can have a labor shortage or difficulty, you know, if employers want to grow, mm-hmm. they need a place for employees to live. And if there's not enough housing and housing is too high cost, that's going to stunt the ability for the economic growth of local employers. It's time for another break and part two of Archie Shep's Money Blues off of the 1971 album Things Have Got to Change. When we come back, we'll meet Kelly Toto, a 10-year resident of Bloomington who talks about moving to Bloomington and living where opportunities are out of reach. Stay with us. Back to Interchange on WFHB. In this segment, episode producer Nasla Routsong speaks with Kelly Toto about what it was like to move to Bloomington as a low-income resident. Toto is the founder of the Trailview Neighborhood Association, a Bloomington neighborhood recently developed by Habitat for Humanity, which blends both single-family and duplex housing. Have you lived in Bloomington and what first brought you here? I've been in Bloomington for 10 years now. I moved here March 1st, uh, 2009, and I came here for a better opportunity for my family. Uh, the jobs from where I come from up north in 
uh, LaPorte, Indiana were uh, not very good. The opportunities there were, it was just not a good uh, place to raise a family. So I came here to try and find a good job and um, just have opportunities for the kids that I didn't have there. So was it mostly the job market that drew you here or anything else? Um, a change of life, I think. Mm-hmm. I just, I really needed uh, uh, something different in my life. And my brother w- had gone, was going to school here and he'd been asking me to come here for a while. Okay. And it just, the opportunity came up. I think at my job, they, I, I got a better position and then they put me back into a position I wasn't mm-hmm. feeling. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, it's time. You're I'm going to do it. Yep. I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to do it. What has your housing experience been like since you've moved here? When I first came, I was trying to find an apartment. It was really difficult. I called some places and they were renting by the bedroom. And I'm like, I'm not renting to my kids. I'm a mom and I have three kids and I need, you know, at least a three bedroom, four bedroom home. And it was like $500 a bedroom. What so. kind of housing was this? That you're t- are, are you talking about like one house that's for rent? Yeah, I was then... calling just apartment complexes. Oh, okay, so, or, complexes. Yeah, like, yeah. or the uh, rental agencies. Uh-huh. Yeah, the rental agencies find... do tend to do that. They'll say it's this much, maybe 500 or whatever per bedroom. Right. Uh-huh. And I thought... How am I going to afford that? Like, right. This is not affordable. Um, because back in Laporte, what was your housing situation there? There was no rent by the bedroom. Uh, mm-hmm. Leases were pretty lenient. You were looking at, if I was paying 600 that was pretty ext- high for renting mm-hmm. a house, full house, a whole house with kids. Yeah. Right. So I'd never really paid that much. Mm-hmm. Um, not ever paid per bedroom. Mm-hmm. So my brother knew someone that he'd rented from before. Um, and we went and talked to him and he had a place that was pretty high compared to what I'd ever made before. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. So, but I decided to just go ahead and trust that I could find a lead. job and yeah. yeah, and do it. It was $700 a month. I found a job making $9.75 an hour uh-huh. and paying $700 a month by myself. Wow. I had no vehicle. Thank goodness Bloomington has uh-huh. public transportation. Um, and I rode public transportation and I've, I'm still at the same job uh-huh. 10 years later. So wow. it took me about five years to get a vehicle and uh-huh. work my way up. And where, uh, so tell me kind of about like the, uh, as far as your housing experience, what does, what, how, uh, what does that mean geographically around the city? Where, where have you lived in different well, parts of the city? I've, I lived on, um, Rockport Road. So I was on, uh, South Number Two bus. And so then, that was the first. Yes, that was place the first place found. for a couple of years. The problem there Rockport, really. Now how far south down Rockport are we talking about? We are right around the Thompson Park area. So the right, RCA Thompson the RCA Park Thompson in Broadview. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So not too bad. I could walk to town. Yeah, you I could, could walk. It's probably two and a half miles. Is that how long it downtown? is? I'm, gu- I'm guessing <laughs> maybe even three. So I would. I also had issues with daycare and trying to be able to manage riding two different buses to work because I worked out at Cook, which is out by Abbey Tech. So getting to two different buses to get out there at that time, that's where I was working. And then when I needed to... And then how long did that bus journey take you to get to work? It was, I think it's a good hour and a half or something. It's been an hour and a half on the bus one way. At least. Yeah. I think it's Uh about an hour and a half. But at one point I needed to get my son to daycare, which is over on Walnut Pike. Mm -hmm. So at six in the morning, we started walking. Mm-hmm. And we walk over to Walnut Pike. You know where wow. that is. I don't know where Walnut Pike is. That is over by uh, Bloomington South, South High School. Yeah. Okay. So we'd walk from Rockport over to there. 
drop my son off at daycare, run around the corner, catch a bus there, get downtown, catch another bus and get downtown. Just that walk. It's how long did the, that walk it's take? Brutal. It was at least, well, I had to catch that bus probably. So it was yeah. pretty strategic to get there on yeah. time for opening and sure. catch that bus. So yeah. I'd say it was a good half an hour walk at least. So you were, so we're talking like two hours in the morning just mm-hmm. for transportation before you could get to work. Yeah. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was, um, but I had transportation. I could get to work every day on time. Mm-hmm. It worked. With the bus yes. system. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is Interchange on WFHB. Episode producer Najla Routsong is speaking with Kelly Toto about her varied housing and transportation experiences as a low-income resident of Bloomington, Indiana, and how living in Habitat for Humanity's Trailview development and access to Fairview Elementary School changed her life. Where did you move next after that, and what was well? What I, was your life? I like? had some problems with that apartment complex being just the the fact that you're living in an apartment complex with a lot of neighbors that are going mm-hmm. in and out. We had some cockroach issues and bed bugs mm-hmm. is, issues. There's a lot of problems, yeah, so I wanted less, to get out less of than that. Ideal, yes, for, for kids your family. And, uh-huh. and how? And and you have a son. The youngest one, he was in preschool then, but now okay. he's 14. And uh-huh. I had a middle schooler, and then I also had a high schooler okay. then. So, you know, it was, it was, it's hard when you, it's just you, you lose a babysitter. What are you going to do? You can't lose your job. So there Mm -hmm. was times where my older kids had to stay home from school before Mm -hmm. I could find uh, daycare because I moved here and, Mm -hmm. um, didn't have a lot of support from my family because it was just my brother and then me. But I decided to try and uh, rent a house that a lady was renting out on, in a neighborhood out by Walmart. So past, way past Walmart, Mm -hmm. the end of that bus route. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was hard. It was a longer walk to a bus stop. So you rented a house out there that could be your own. You Did it have a yard? It had a yard. Uh-huh. It was nice. How um, did your kids like it? We liked it. Uh-huh. Um, we liked the fact that we had a yard, that we were out there. My daughter was gone. Did they gone. have to change schools when they moved out there? So my son started having a lot of problems in schools and was kicked out of school, my older mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. My youngest one uh, switched from Summit to Grandview, mm-hmm. which is very difficult because there's no bus to Grandview. So then I couldn't participate in any school activities. Wow. I couldn't pick him up when he was sick. I really struggled because oh. there was no bus to get to Grandview. So going and, out there And was, how old was he? He son? was in, so he moved from kindergarten into first grade out there. So he's it, six, maybe. Was, yeah, very difficult for and school. You're trying to. Ex- I'm. Ge- I'm imagining you tried to explain to him the reason why you aren't yeah. at these activities, and I'm guessing. I mean, is that easy to explain to a six year old um, to understand? Well, something. No, we were more involved at Summit because mm-hmm. he was right. Uh, it was right there. We could there. get there. Yes, we mm-hmm. walked there all the time. Um, but out at Grandview, it was just terrible, actually, for someone that didn't have a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So we only stayed there for one year. Then I met. Um, the man that I eventually married, and mm-hmm. we moved into his bedroom mm-hmm. in an apartment in Varsity Villas. Okay. And so that was pretty rough. And that's out by the stadium? Yes. Okay. And then it was university school, no bus out there. I mm-hmm. mean, if you do have a bus, it's pretty limited. Right. So there's just the campus bus system? Yes, which is, there? I couldn't get out there yeah. on time. It was I was really struggling. Okay. But thank goodness, university offered me a switch to... Um, Arlington School, which is mm-hmm. I had moved from Cookout by Park for, Park Forty Eight up to CMI, which is next to Bloomington uh, High School North. Okay, so I was up there, so he got to go to Arlington School. Mm-hmm. So I would catch that bus, get off, we would walk home to Varsity Villas from there. Mm-hmm. So living at Varsity Villas was good because I was still within walking distance mm-hmm. to town. But again, you're living in a college 
you know, campus Mm -hmm. (laughs) apartments. So that was a little rough. So we were looking for a place we could move more in town next to buses. And I found the apartment off Adams and Kirkwood. Mm -hmm. So then he's going to Fairview Elementary School. Okay. I blossomed. We blossomed at Fairview. It was an amazing school. My son has earned scholarships Mm -hmm. at Fairview um, for two different programs. He plays a violin with the IU String Academy through the Fairview program. Fantastic. So, and we just were able to go to Banneker programs. He took Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. So everything by being in town, mm-hmm. being close to that school, in that school has just been wonderful mm-hmm. for us. And why do you think that your family has blossomed so much when you were lived closer to town as opposed to when you were living farther away? The opportunities, all what the kinds programs, of opportunities? the opportunities to be able to go to Banneker and be there on time. Um, the, uh, we were able to take part in some other programming at, uh, IU, the, an mm-hmm. art class that he went to, but really being part of a Fairview school mm-hmm. made a huge difference. Being able, I was in the PTO, so I started going to meetings because mm-hmm. those meetings were held to where I could get to them. Um, we started just, I know the principal very well. Actually, mm-hmm. she's going to speak at a Habitat fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I asked her to be a part of that and all the violinists from Fairview that mm-hmm. live in Trailview are going to play violin at the next breakfast oh, next week. Fantastic. So yeah. we, we're just trying to be more of a community at Fairview mm-hmm. and bring everybody in to be part of it. So a huge difference. And so now you're um, you're actually living in a Habitat property. Tell us yes. a little bit about that. So I live in a duplex in Trailview, which is Habitat's first neighborhood in Bloomington. It has right now about 27, I think, families and we'll be up to 35 families when we're finished. And what kind of housing is that? We have a duplex, uh, so two families in one house, and then we also have single family homes. But I think it's about equal. Yeah. So the measure that is going to be voted on uh, by the city council next week is uh, it actually does it actually does revolve around duplexes mm-hmm. and triplexes. So it's going to make it a lot more easy for uh, property owners to build duplexes or to convert a current single family home into a duplex. How do you think that this policy, if it does pass, do you have any ideas on how this policy might affect you and your family? I'm not sure how it will affect directly with my family. Um, I do see a lot of uh, houses going up in our neighborhood, like Cottage Grove and the surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. People are, there's been a couple new houses that have gone up. I'm not really sure that I know what neighborhoods, what, what their issues are in these mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Where I come from in up north, I think there's a lot of neighborhoods that have duplexes and houses turned into apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know what the issue exactly could be with that unless there's parking. Cause we, in our neighborhood, we do have some parking issues mm-hmm. where it's just too congested in some areas and then sure. there's not enough parking. Mm-hmm. So I guess that could be some concerns of people mm-hmm. in the neighborhoods. If there's not enough parking and too many people um, in that area and they won't be able to park there. What has been your experience living in a duplex? Is that, do you think living in a duplex is somehow more affordable simply by it being a duplex as opposed to one single standing home? I think our utilities are more affordable than the single family homes. Mm-hmm. The difference between the house that I live in, which is built to be a duplex, the wall between the two homes is a fire wall mm-hmm. so that a fire cannot break through. Mm-hmm. Our utilities are separate. So I'm not sharing utilities with them. Right. All of our utilities are our own. 
And when I lived in the duplex before, um, we shared all of the utilities. So if somebody used more water downstairs or left their lights mm-hmm. on, I'm still paying half of that utility mm-hmm. bill, which was always a concern to me. Sure. And also the house wasn't really built to be a duplex. Right. So in, in that house, there was a kitchen right below mm-hmm. my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And when there was people down there that liked to be up late at night, that was very difficult. I can imagine. Um, yeah. So we don't have mm-hmm. the sound issues in the duplex that's mm-hmm. built as a duplex. Great. It's time for our final break and part three of Archie Shep's Money Blues, off of the 1971 album Things Have Got to Change. More with Kelly Toto on how low wages restrict every aspect of life, even when you live in a great town. Stay with us. Welcome back to Interchange, our show today, Are They My Poor?, focuses on proposed changes to housing zoning in Bloomington, Indiana. In this final segment, episode producer Najla Routsong talks with Trailview resident Kelly Toto about what it means to live in a neighborhood where a diverse housing plan promotes community relationships. What has been your experience with rent prices in Bloomington in the 10 years that you've lived here? Um, if you are low income, if you make, I made 975 to start at Cook, and I know they, they've totally built that up, but so, still some people don't make more than mm-hmm. that. How can you pay a, a mortgage mm-hmm. or rent? When do, you're, do you remember like what percentage of your income you were spending on on housing when you were making? Well, I was paying all my utilities. I, I didn't have a car. <laughs> um, it was hard to afford uh, anything mm-hmm. extra. I remember my son saying to me because uh, we did live near a trailer park and we and all the other homes that I was with were on Section Eight, which. I, I've never been on Section 8, and I don't see anything wrong with it. But my, my motto, and I told my son, is we're going forward. We're not mm-hmm. going backwards. We're going to be doing better. I'm not going to mm-hmm. get on assistance. I'm trying to get off of assistance. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, Mom, why don't we do this? We could have our rent paid for, and, you know, it would be so much easier because it mm-hmm. was hard. He didn't have a new bike. He didn't have game state, you know, a game mm-hmm. thing. He, PlayStation. He did, yes, yeah. PlayStation. <laughs> he didn't have new clothes. Like, things are different for me now. I'm able to afford things. I, I am married, so we have two incomes. Mm-hmm. I'm able to buy new clothes for mm-hmm. my son. I'm able to, we're able to go places. Before, mm-hmm. 
we couldn't do anything extra. It was nothing. I remember many times going into town on the bus and not having a dollar to even stop and buy something to mm-hmm. drink. So I know what that feels like to not have an extra dollar mm-hmm. in my pocket, even stop and buy a coffee if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard. Everything went to bills, everything. There was no extra money at all. What was your uh, experience when you moved to Bloomington? Did you find that this community was welcoming to newcomers and specifically to people of limited incomes to live here? I would not want to meet Bloomington in any other way than how I did, and that Mm -hmm. was riding public transportation. Mm -hmm. I feel like I got to know the city in a way that I wouldn't have if I had a car. Oh, tell yeah, tell me more about that. Well, I I got to meet the heartbeat of Bloomington. I got mm-hmm. to sit with people. You will have more patience in your life mm-hmm. if you have to go on a bus everywhere you need to go. Shopping uh, appointments, mm-hmm. you have to call off work just to run to a doctor. I also have a lot more varied and diverse experiences and you get to know people that you would not have gotten to know otherwise. That is true. You meet people on their way to work in the morning. Now, if you're going somewhere like to IU mm-hmm. and you live here, pretty nice. You can right. go 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. If you have an hour bus ride and it's a five-minute car ride, it's really hard to ride the mm-hmm. bus. Or if you're going grocery shopping, believe me, it's much easier with a car mm-hmm. <laughs> than trying sure. to carry your groceries a couple blocks after sure. you get off the bus. Mm-hmm. It's very hard sometimes, but I am so grateful for the experience that mm-hmm. I had and the people I got to meet and just how I saw the city. It was is really my favorite thing about start living here in Bloomington. Um, well, you stayed here, so you must have felt I like did. you were welcomed in. I love, I loved it right away. Uh-huh. Um, very welcoming, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when we look at it as in, you know, how much money do you make and can you afford to live here? Mm-hmm. That can be very hard. And it is not a struggle for someone that doesn't have that to put in. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you're disabled, I would assume, or if you have struggles with things, if right. you're elderly, if yeah. you're, um, if you're just maybe shy and not as, you know, outgoing, I, I'm pretty, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to make sure I get this done. Like I said, uh-huh. we're going forward. We're not moving back. That was my goal. Uh-huh. And I eventually was able to get completely off of any assistance mm-hmm. and I've moved ahead in my job, but not everybody is able to okay, do that. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but this this has become my home. I never thought I'd find another home besides my hometown. What would you say to someone who already lives in one of the core city neighborhoods that's closer to the center mm-hmm. um, who doesn't want their neighborhood to become more dense with these plexes? Who does, you know, they want it to stay single family homes without the duplexes and triplexes, who is afraid of their neighborhood's character changing mm-hmm. or who would want that development to happen closer to the outskirts of the city sure, first. Sure, let's push. Let's let's put everyone kind of away from where um, from our own comfort zones. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just give a little example. We have one family that became a Habitat homeowner and didn't know if they wanted to live in our neighborhood mm-hmm. because they kind of want. They felt like they were more private. Didn't want to be have those close neighbors. Mm-hmm. Wanted more space and but decided to go ahead and get a house in our neighborhood okay. and has gone through some uh, troubles. One of them passed away. Mm-hmm. And she told me that she's so glad that she moved into a neighborhood with, with us, with this mm-hmm. many people, because she's found that we're her family. And if she would have moved somewhere where she didn't have to worry about other people and she was mm-hmm. on her own, she wouldn't have had the support people on her doorstep every day, you know, mm-hmm. helping her and sitting with her and, I, that really hit me because 
I think sometimes we don't realize that we're here for a relationship with people. We can we can have a relationship in a, a neighborhood where we're meeting more people <laughs> if we give that a chance. So I don't think if you're looking at, you know, every single space in the neighborhood being congested and, and you're going to have all these problems, <laughs> I think you need to look at it more like, um, there's going to be more people there for support and friendship and mm-hmm. relationship. And so I think people need to give it a chance. I mean, they need to give people a chance. What else are we here for? So in your view, a denser Bloomington isn't necessarily more congestion, but it's also more community. More community, more support, uh-huh. more family. Sometimes people are afraid to put themselves out there mm-hmm. and to meet their neighbors. Right. And that's one of the things that we've found with Habitat is we know all our neighbors. Yeah. We, you can come in our neighborhood and all of our kids are playing outside and people are on each other's porches. Yeah. And our community, it's a community. Right. And we've helped each other. Whenever somebody has something, you see somebody's bringing mm-hmm. some, some bricks in to put in their yard, you mm-hmm. see all these people come out and start to help. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, and that's what a real we neighborhood. Are. That is a real uh-huh. neighborhood. And that's what that looks like. Yeah. This is Interchange on WFHB. Episode producer Najla Routsong is speaking with Kelly Toto about her varied housing and transportation experiences as a low-income resident of Bloomington, Indiana, and how living in Habitat for Humanity's Trailview development and access to Fairview Elementary School changed her life. We tend to want to have this idea of being Mm self-sufficient people and not wanting to acknowledge that we are, in fact, social beings and we have a real physical and psychological and mental need for other people right um and so you know maybe one person's approach to that is well i'll just i'll just have the people i pick and choose right right and it sounds like your approach is is uh is a little different yeah yeah your approach is more like well i'll take whoever shows up and we'll we'll make it work these are the people you're around and and you have to appreciate them that's Mm -hmm. The, the person you least expect could mm-hmm. be, you know, you're the one that's there for you mm-hmm. when you need them. So what kind of value do you think living in a neighborhood with more economic diversity brings to someone? Well, um, living next to someone who maybe earns significantly less or mm-hmm. more than you. I don't know for sure. Um, we are all about the same in in our neighborhood, We, but we have grown. So for people that are, you know, renting or maybe they own their own home and they want to be able to do something mm-hmm. like that and offer um, housing to mm-hmm. someone, maybe even more affordable. I would hope mm-hmm. there's more people wanting to offer affordable exactly. housing. And we talk about that with South Central Indiana Housing is how can we maybe look in the future at, incent- you know, giving mm-hmm. incentives to landlords that want to not get top dollar for mm-hmm. everything that mm-hmm. they rent, but to be more aware of the community and the mm-hmm. needs of people that are not just college mm-hmm. students or wealthy, you know, business people. There's people that have families that can't afford those types of houses. This policy specifically, if passed, would make it much, much more easy for a local family, for instance, who maybe needed the extra income to, um, like I said, do some renovations. Mm-hmm. And now they have a duplex and they can live in one side, rent out the other one. So what is your opinion on how that could affect our, our community? I I don't see any reason why that would be a a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, it sounds like except for maybe if the renovations are done after the house was built, they may be some noisy neighbors as you've experienced. Well, and and you get that with any time you're renting an apartment, but Good point. um, yeah, yeah, that those are just that's apartments. So there are some apartments like that in mm-hmm. town already, um, and you can find those to be more affordable. Mm-hmm. The place that I rented uh, last was. I mean, it was higher. It was definitely higher than what I'm paying now, but compared to some other places in town, mm-hmm. it was definitely more affordable. Um, yeah, and and who doesn't want to rent from a person instead of a property management exactly. place? Yeah. Like you're renting from someone who has a heart and mm-hmm. someone who has, a, you know, a, <laughs> cares about other people. I've only yeah. rented from landlords hopefully. in the past. I mean, yeah, I'm hopefully. just kidding. Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm <laughs> Sometimes you're looking at property management though, and the property management is managing for landlords uh-huh. and uh-huh. they're just business. It's, yeah. and they're trying to I've make heard. money. Yeah. And then, you know, I've rented from landlords in the past where I had a hard time and I said, I need to get out of this lease. And it was like, okay, well, good luck. Mm-hmm. And property management, you usually sure. don't get that. You get sued. And I, uh-huh. I was sued when I, when I purchased my, Habitat for Humanity Home because I had to leave early. Broke release. Yes. And, um, yes. Yeah, so I got help with a community uh, group called Bloomington Solidarity Network that mm-hmm. helped me to try to right the wrong of, mm-hmm. of what was happening mm-hmm. to me. Um, but in the end, the landlords have the, have everything. They mm-hmm. have the, a person is not going to have the top lawyer, the mm-hmm. property management, the landlord's going to have sure. the top lawyers. Yeah. And most people are going to, um, mm-hmm. be hurt by that. So, mm-hmm. Um, to have a landlord that's, that cares about people, mm-hmm. that would be really nice to have more people like that that are renting because they want to help someone out and take half their home and mm-hmm. helps them and helps the people. So what would you say to someone who is afraid that the, that the, you know, the people who would be moving into their neighborhood into the duplexes and triplexes wouldn't be great neighbors? Right. Right. Because that, that's a concern that I've heard. That they're not going to keep the property up mm-hmm. that well, um, and that they're going to be landlords who are not keeping property up that well anymore. Well, you know, you always have situations that, no matter where you're at, you have situations that you feel, you know, like you could do better, <laughs> or you wish they would do this, or you mm-hmm. wish they do that. And I mean, you can't be too picky about all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel. I feel bad sometimes when people talk about the side of the neighborhood, you know, over there where um, the Shalom Center is, and they've yeah. got all the homeless people mm-hmm. hanging out, and it, you can't have nothing nice outside. Mm-hmm. My dad was homeless. Mm-hmm. My dad died homeless on the streets. Uh-huh. And um, and it wasn't because he didn't have people that loved him. Mm-hmm. It was because he had problems. Mm-hmm. And um, when you care about your family, but you have a problem, you don't want to be a burden. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what my dad did. He sure. took off. People have um, pride. He he didn't want to be a burden to us, so he left it. Because I always want to say, you know, people think, well, why did you just let him live on the streets? Well, I didn't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he left. He sure. disappeared. Yeah. Um, that's what a lot of people on the streets are disappeared, mm-hmm. you know. But I always say, I, I hope there was somebody that sat down and talked to him. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get to. Mm-hmm. I hope there was someone that cared enough mm-hmm. about him to say, how's your day today? You know, mm-hmm. what's going on? In the end, we're people, and we need others to care about mm-hmm. us. And if we just look at others and say they're not good enough, they're mm-hmm. not good enough for our neighborhood, they're not good enough for this house, they're not good enough to live on my street, I mean, shame on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I mm-hmm. think, you know, where, how can you help? Is there something you can do to be a, a resource? Mm-hmm. Can you, you know, be somebody that cares about other people instead of just telling them everything you don't like about them? That's our show. We'll close with more from Archie Shep's Things Have Got to Change. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's from the first epistle of John, written in approximately 100 CE. Thanks to Deborah Meyerson and Kelly Toto for speaking with us tonight about affordable housing in a university rent town like Bloomington, Indiana. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Doug Storm. Today's show was produced by Najla Routsong and edited by Sean Milligan and myself. Jar Turner is executive producer. Stay tuned for the Jazz Menagerie coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB. WFHB.